Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining me this week. Brand new week of broadcast. And this week, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. And for the first part of the message today and tomorrow, we're going to talk about living by grace and grace alone. And the book of Galatians is a fascinating book. But before we get into the book of Galatians, you know, we're kind of in the beginning of a new year. It's now the month of February of the year 2024. And one of the books that I've read this year already is the 21 Days of Prayer for Your Church Leaders. And this is a book that's published by Strategic Renewal. And so I thought today I'd start with the first chapter kind of highlighting some of the things in that chapter to hopefully whet your appetite on this whole matter of praying for your leaders. You know, before anybody can be a great leader, they must first learn to be a greater follower. You know, when it comes to ministry in the Lord's church, it is imperative to know that our first calling is not to the church. We must remember that our first calling is to Christ, to Christ and Christ alone. As we look at the book of Galatians, we're talking about living by Christ's gospel alone. So when we think about our relationship with God, for all true gospel ministry arises out of this intimacy that we have with Christ. Here is how our Savior lived. It is often said that Jesus in the gospels, that he would withdraw himself and he'd go to these lonely, desolate places and pray. Now, I got to admit to you, uh, for the first probably two decades that I was involved in ministry, I never really saw the significance and the importance of prayer. Now, I realize that without prayer, you can do nothing. And I realize that God does nothing but answer prayer. So, on one occasion, after a very long, long night in his ministry, Jesus arose the next morning. I mean, he went to bed late, woke up early even before the sun was up. And he didn't go out to meet the crowds. Instead, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. His disciples came, and they were looking for him, and the crowds were wanting him back to minister to them. But Jesus was away from everybody. He was praying in a desolate place. Now, Jesus even trained his disciples in this very important discipline of prayer. Now, notice as we look at how Jesus prayed, and we can read it right out of Scripture itself, we can see from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, that Jesus went up to the mountain, and he called to them those uh, who were desired to be with him, those who wanted to go with him a little further up on the mountain, and he appointed them the twelve. He also named them apostles, so that he might be with them, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Now look at the rhythm that we see and the priority that Jesus had. He wanted to get his disciples together. He wanted to pray with them. He wanted to anoint them, and he wanted them to be ready to be sent out. Okay, so when God uses somebody greatly, he always prepares them for what he's about to use them to accomplish. Without any preparation, you will not accomplish great things for God. Every Bible character, without exception, has had what we would call a wilderness experience. So maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I'm wandering around. 
I feel like I'm not getting a whole lot of traction. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to a small group. I'm trying to serve the Lord, but it feels like I'm getting nowhere. Well, hang in there. In due season, you will produce a fruit. Now, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. But I've also noticed as we are fruit producing, that there is a time to produce fruit. Trees don't produce fruit all year round. There is a time for them to be dormant. There is a time for them to be fertilized. There is a time for them to grow. There is a time for their flowers to bud. And finally will come the harvest. So be patient. In due season, you will reap. As we look at the book of Galatians today, we want to break down the entire book first and then come up with some ways in which we can live by grace alone. So in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Galatians, it's talking about how the gospel is so special, why the gospel is so special. It's the message of the apostles. The gospel is true. The gospel is grace that is being defended, okay? That's chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians is very doctrinal. It's dealing with the issue of legalism and how legalism is a failed system because you can never get to the point where you live your life in such a way that God is pleased with you. Paul wants to remind the churches of Galatia that God is pleased in them because they are in him. The gospel is superior. Grace is expounded. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, and we look at 5 and 6, the last two chapters of the book of Galatians, it talks about how should people who have been set free, how do we live now, now that we've been set free? So chapters 1 and 2, why is the gospel so special? Chapters 3 and 4, very doctrinal. Can we earn God's favor by keeping the law? Absolutely not, because we can't keep the law. And then chapters 5 and 6 talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand in that freedom is what Paul is telling us. And don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So don't go back to the old way of thinking. Now, Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. We learn that from chapter 1, verse number 1. It was sent to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia, which is in present-day Turkey. Now, Paul wrote this letter sometime around 52 AD, plus or minus a few years. Now, there is scholarly debate about whether this letter was sent to churches in Southern Asia Minor or to Northern Asia Minor. It seems most likely that the recipients were on the southern part of Asia Minor consisting of the churches that Paul had planted in and around Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And this is found in Acts 13 and 14, where Paul planted these churches. And so he's going to go back to visit these churches on his next missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. But he's wanting to give them this letter of encouragement because he's discovered that many of the believers in the province of Galatia believed by faith that they were saved by grace alone, by the gospel alone, through Christ alone. 
But now, as they're growing in their faith, some false doctrine is coming in. There are some who are called the Judaizers who are coming in and saying, if the Gentiles are going to join our ranks, then they must live according to the Jewish doctrine. They must be circumcised. They must keep the letter of the law. They must keep the ceremonies that we keep. So Paul is now addressing this in this book of Galatians. Now, John Stott was a great Christian leader in the last century, and he was the rector of a church called the All Saints Langham Place in London. And he's one of these uh, preachers that was very well-grounded. He was a Bible teacher. He was an evangelist. He was an author. He was actually a global leader, and he had a friend that he was visiting with Pastor Stott three weeks before his death. So a friend came by to see Pastor Stott just three weeks before he died. And after an unforgettable hour and sharing of all the memories over the many years, this friend that was visiting Pastor Stott asked him how he would like him to pray for him. So there, this pastor, this, this wonderful saint, is lying weak, very weak on his back, barely able to speak. And he answered in a hoarse prayer. He said, pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my very last breath. Would that such a prayer be the passion of our generation too, that we will end strong? Not just start off strong, but that we would end strong. As Paul is addressing the Galatian believers, he is wanting them not only to finish strong, but to start strong and to be strong in the faith. Not up and down and all over the place, but be consistent. Let's read Galatians chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 1 all the way down to verse number 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, verse 6 is a transition. Paul has just gave a welcome, and he's praising God for the churches of Galatia. In verse number 6, he says, but you know, I am really astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. And Paul says, this different gospel is really no gospel at all. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But Paul says, you know, even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let them be under God's curse. Paul is telling the Galatian believers, listen, if you hear another gospel, don't buy into it. That person that is propagating another gospel is under God's curse. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is all about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. The gospel is the good news that sets us free when we put our faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Paul says in verse number nine, As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, 
let them be under God's curse. Now, this is pretty powerful. But when you think about this, Paul is saying God's curse is going to be resting upon all those who are propagating a false doctrine, a false gospel. And now that is, I believe, the majority of the world's population. Most people on the planet do not recognize Jesus Christ as their Savior. Most people on the planet may know about Christ, but they're not exclusively putting their trust in Him. Most people are following a works-to-base salvation, and as a result of that, they're under God's curse. Paul says in verse number 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? You see, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul here is addressing the fact that false teachers are tampering with the gospel. It is causing trouble within the church. Indeed, God's church it seems like it's constantly being bombarded by troublemakers, not only back then, but also today. Those who oppose, those who ridicule, those who persecute, those who are following the gospel. As we look at good churches, good churches are gospel-driven churches. Now, the best way to serve the church is to believe and to preach the gospel. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, tells the story about the 19th century agnostic, a guy by the name of Thomas Huxley. And now some of you might know that it was Huxley who promoted Darwinism and humanism and his attacks on Christianity. Well, Huxley was in Dublin and was rushing to catch a train. He climbed aboard on one of Dublin's famous horse-drawn taxis and said to the driver, hurry, I'm almost late, drive fast. So off they went. At a furious pace, Huxley sat back in his seat and he closed his eyes. After a little while, he opened up his eyes and he glanced out the window to notice that they were going in the wrong direction. While realizing he hadn't told the driver where to take him, he called out, do you know where you're going? The driver replied, no, your honor, but I'm driving very fast. Isn't that how a lot of us are living our lives? We may not know where we're going, but we're driving really fast. Paul says, I was astonished at these teachings that were given to the churches of Galatia. He says, I cannot believe that they are buying into this false doctrine. And they're going really fast and buying into that false doctrine. Can it be that we as Christians do not make more of an impact upon our world because we have not been sufficiently astonished ourselves by the gospel. What about the wonder of Christ's life and Christ's power? Can it be that we are so enamored by the problems that we are facing and the decadence of our culture that we are missing and no longer astonished by the power of the gospel? In Mark chapter 1, we see that as we're seeing Jesus traveling around and and there was a man that was there in the synagogue, and this man had an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And then the unclean spirit, when it had come out of him, he convulsed, and he cried out with a loud voice, 
he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they even questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits to obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all of the region around Galatia. Now here we see this astonishment of what Jesus is doing. He has that authority. He commands this demon to leave this person. That unclean spirit comes out of that individual, and many people followed him and obeyed him because of the authority that Jesus had. It says immediately, his fame spread throughout all of the regions of Galilee. Now, when Paul says, I'm astonished, in Galatians, he's not astonished that they are so enamored by the power of Christ. He's astonished that after being exposed to the authority of Christ and the power of Christ, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting that position within Christ. You know, that word deserting is actually a military term. It's a member of the military leaving his post. You can't do that, right? When I think about the military, some jobs that you go to, and if you're not happy with that job, uh, you can just quit, right? The military is not that way. When you sign up to be in the military, you are there. You cannot desert your post. You must follow the commands of your commander, right? The orders of your commander. You cannot be missing in action. You can't be away without leave. You cannot be leaving your post. You can't do it. You can't desert your post. Paul is bringing in a military term as he's talking to the believers at Galatia, and he's saying, how in the world could you desert your post? The one who has called you, the one you are leaving, is the one who's never going to leave you. How could you leave him? You are to live in the grace of Christ. He says you're turning to a different gospel. What would be a different gospel? Literally, it's talking about a cult. You are bringing in cultic theology into the church. And Paul says, this is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Paul is saying they are causing disruption, turning from Christ to themselves, and they are trying to pervert the gospel. In other words, they're giving a gospel that is really the opposite of the gospel of Christ. They have forgotten about the power of Christ. They have forgotten about the grace of God. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln gave a speech, and he said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and in prosperity. We have grown in numbers and in wealth and in power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God, the God that made us. 
this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians, and this is what I am saying to you as a faithful broadcast listener. Don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget the power of the gospel. Well, let's review. What exactly is the gospel? Well, the term gospel is found 99 times in the New American Standard of the Bible. In the Greek Testament, gospel is the translation of the Greek noun, and that occurs 76 times, and it always means good news. So the verb that is used to evangelize occurs 54 times. So as we are evangelizing, we are giving people the gospel, and it means to bring or to announce good news. Now, both of these words are derived from the word meaning messenger. And as we look at the messenger, that is the one who brings a message of victory, the one who brings about good news, personal news sometimes, sometimes it's political news, and it causes great joy. So with gospel is always implied good news, right? The gospel is not bad news, it's good news. It's the good news that you have victory over your sin, not because you've kept the law, but because of what Christ has done for us. As we look at that word evangelize, it also means to speak as a messenger of gladness. It means to proclaim the good news. Furthermore, it's actually a technical term, meaning I'm giving you not only a message of joy, it's not just to pump you up, but it's a message of victory. You now have victory over your sin. As we think about the New Testament, both the noun and the verb that is used in the New Testament demonstrate how, as Christians, we have been given glorious good news, victorious news, it's salvation that is available to humans, available to mankind, that we have been given victory over sin and death, and that God offers to all people through the work of Jesus Christ. He offers everlasting life. And right now, Jesus is at God's right hand. In New Testament, these two words for evangelism and evangelistic become technical terms talking about the good news offered to all men through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. So, uh, when we look at the gospel, in a nutshell, it has four parts. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. He says, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached to you, that you received on which you stand— Verse number two, 1 Corinthians 15, and by which you are being saved. So salvation is an initial act of being converted to Christ, but then it is a progressive act. He says, you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message, the message that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as first importance, which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Okay, so as we look at this, we see four components of the Gospel. 
One is that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Verse number three. Number two, that he was buried. Verse number four. Number three, that he was raised on the third day. Also in verse number four. And then fourthly, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So when we think about the gospel, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and the appearance of Christ, the appearance of the risen Savior. And the gospel changes us. You see, when God told Joshua and told Moses to take off their sandals, right? He's putting down the fact that the gospel is all about living and changing your life so that you can be a holy person. So join me tomorrow as we continue on this theme. And we're going to talk about what happens once we receive the gospel. You are never again the same. Yesterday I was talking to a couple that was going through a hard time. And I says, have you forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit in your marriage? The Spirit of God can change you like nothing else can. They were kind of trying to come up with a plan, a scheme of how they can can salvage their marriage. I says, what about putting Christ in the center of your marriage? And that will bring healing. Well, I want to pray for you. If you have a prayer request you'd like to share with me, just shoot me a text message, okay? 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.